Welcome back to the Bible Brush Up podcast. In today's episode, we are going to be focusing on Mount Sinai and the events that occur there as Moses goes up and receives the law. And the entire Old Testament, in some sense, is referred to as the law. Oftentimes in the New Testament, it's referred to as the law. And so this event is representative of what unfolds in the Old Testament. It's hard to go any further in the Old Testament without understanding what takes place at Sinai. So it's very important that we cover that. And it's not just that this is where right and wrong is established because it was wrong to kill people before the giving of the law. We see Cain killing Abel, and that was wrong. And we see many sins uh, unfold. We see Sodom and Gomorrah burned to the ground and because what was happening there was wrong. But yet the law had not been given. So the law is more than just instituting right and wrong. The giving of the law is identifying the people of God with God, and it's setting up some um, some parameters within which that relationship is going to operate. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But before that, I want to back up a little bit and talk about the place of Sinai. The place of Sinai really is a carryover from what we were talking about yesterday in yesterday's episode on sacred space, because as we discussed, there were some places where God just communicated with people one time, and then it was done. And we referred to that like a telegram. You get a telegram, it's a one and done deal. You can't go back to that spot and receive another one every time you come back. Uh, But other places were like phone booths, where you could go back to that same location again and again. And of course, eventually we get the tabernacle, and in the New Testament, we are more like uh, cell phones where we walk around and we can commune with God wherever. And the tabernacle was portable and it moved around with the people. And so you could access God wherever that was set up. But Sinai becomes the main focal phone booth that we might refer to in the Old Testament because there are several instances where people go back to Sinai, and they go back to this location, and they commune with God. And one of the first places we see this is in Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus 3, Moses goes out, and he experiences the burning bush, and God speaks to him from the bush and says, take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. And this is the mountain of God at Mount Horeb, and that's the same location as Sinai. So some some of these words and uh Labels for the mountains are the mountain peak themselves, and some of them are talking about a mountain range, Um, but this is the mountain of God. And just a few verses later, in verse 12, God tells Moses that he wants the people to be taken out of Egypt so that they could come worship him on this mountain. That's the place they're heading to. When they're going and saying uh, to Pharaoh, let my people go so they can go serve God, where are they headed? Well, they're going to head back to this location. They want to serve God at his mountain, his holy spot. They want to come back to the phone booth and talk to God where the phone booth is. And then later on, Aaron is told to go and meet Moses at the mountain of God in chapter 4. And so we see this reference multiple times here early on, and as Moses is leading the people across the dry ground of the Red Sea 
out of Egypt into the wilderness, he starts to sing a song, and this is recorded in Exodus chapter 15. And Moses talks about the Lord's strength and his might and how he's a man of war. He brings up his name Yahweh, which we talked about in the last episode, that um, name that was given so that they could relate to this God and not any other gods, just this God, Yahweh, because he is the one who causes things to be. And so they're singing about this as they come across the dry ground and as they um, see the water pour down on top of the chariots of Egypt. But one of the last things that he says here in this song that he's singing is regarding the mountain of God. He says this in verse 17, you will bring them, speaking of God, you will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord will reign forever and ever. And so they're really focused on getting to God's mountain. They're really focused on getting there because it's a sanctuary. Wherever God's dwelling is, wherever he has set up his home on earth, you might say, that is a sanctuary and that's a place where God reigns. And eventually that becomes Jerusalem. So phone booths don't last forever. They're not going to stay in Sinai. They're eventually going to build a tabernacle and start moving around. But this is a precursor to what's going to happen in Jerusalem, that that temple is going to be built. But before we get to Jerusalem and Zion, we have Sinai. And Sinai becomes... Um, the blueprint, you might say, by which Zion is established. And so we have all this language regarding God's mountain and his holy place. And so Moses will eventually get there with the people, and he climbs up there on the holy mountain and once again communes with God. And up on the top of the mountain, there's fire. So it reminds him of the fiery um, bush that wouldn't be consumed by the fire, just kept burning and burning. And up on top of this mountain, there's fire raging, and it's a reminder of God's power and his wrath against sin. And and um, so Moses goes up the mountain, and he receives the law and the instructions regarding the tabernacle. Now, what was the law? Well, first of all, you've got to understand that in this era, there were treaties that were often made between what were called suzerains and vassals. Suzerains and vassals. Suzerains are the more dominant, powerful, rich, and prosperous regions of the world. And they would go in with their power and with their might, with their weapons and uh, their technology that they had for that era, and they would go in and they would conquer some of the lesser, weaker, poorer communities. And instead of just killing everybody, oftentimes they would make an agreement with these small communities. And they would say something like this in their treaty that would be written up. And you can find copies of these online if you want to go and look at some of the suzerain Hittite treaties or suzerain vassal treaties. It would say something to the effect of, we are your sovereign, we are over you, um, we have all the power, they'll give maybe uh, a brief history of their relationship, and then it will say something like this, if you do these things, then we will protect you, and we will care for you, and we will make sure that you don't die at the hands of other enemies, we'll make sure that you people don't starve, so on and so forth. And so there were stipulations 
that the vassal, the, the weaker community, had to uphold. And if they upheld those stipulations, then the suzerain would be their protector and would watch over them. And so if anybody else comes in, so let's say Egypt. If Egypt formed this relationship with uh, the Edomites, we'll say, and the Edomites are being attacked by Babylon, then Egypt will come and they will fight in the battle to protect the Edomites from Babylon because of the agreement that they had, because of this treaty. And when you read the Ten Commandments, it is laid out exactly like these treaties. God gives a brief history of what he's done, how he led the people out of Egypt. He's, he appeals back to um, the relationship of himself with the Jewish nation and how he has made them prosper and how he has freed them up to this point. And then he lays out the stipulations of their relationship. If God is going to be Lord over them, if he's going to protect them from their enemies, if he's going to bring them into the land that um, he has set aside for them, then they have to do these things. And that's why he gives a list of Ten Commandments. And those Ten Commandments are the stipulations of that treaty. I often like to refer to it as a rental agreement because it's what allows them access to the land and it's their provision in the land. And so if they uphold their end of the bargain, if they uphold their end of the rental agreement, then they get to stay. And if they violate the rental agreement, just like if you were in a rental property and you started breaking out the windows and you started putting holes in the wall, then the landlord would come and would kick you out. And that's exactly what happens when the Israelites violate God's rental agreement. He kicks them out. That's why they end up in Babylonian captivity. That's why they end up under the oppression of many of the Canaanite tribes throughout the book of Judges, because they do evil and they violate God's treaty. And so oftentimes in the Old Testament era, you would get a copy of this treaty for the suzerain, the dominating power, and you would have one for the vassal, for the weaker community. And there would, so there would be two copies, one for each party. And that's exactly what happens on Mount Sinai. He gets two tablets with the Ten Commandments carved into them. I know Hollywood, and probably even in our own minds, often we think of these tablets as having five commandments on one and five commandments on the other, a total of ten. But more likely, it was ten commandments on one and the same ten commandments on the other, and one of them represented the people's copy, and one of them represented God's copy. Uh, which is why we see uh, it carried around in the Ark of the Covenant later on. That's God's copy of the law. And it's just a reminder that he knows what is to be expected, and the people know what's to be expected. And that formulates the basis of their relationship. And that's what formulates what we call the Mosaic Covenant. We talked about the Abrahamic Covenant and how important it was, and now we've sort of evolved. It's not that the Abrahamic Covenant is now obsolete. It's still in effect, but this is the next wave or stage of God's covenant with his people. It's the same people. It's still in fulfillment of the promises to Abraham that he's going to give them a lot of people, 
and a land to call their own. And the, the Joseph narrative showed us how God preserved people when famine was in the land and people were dying. And Joseph says that God had done this for good to preserve the lives of many. But now we are finding out how God is going to bring the people back to the land that he had promised to Abraham. And that happens through the Mosaic Covenant. And their uh, prospering in that land will be continuously based on their obedience to these stipulations that were given in this covenant. So those are some things to think about as you continue to read. These are major foundational stones that without the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant in place and understanding what they were, you really don't get a grasp of what takes place in the rest of the Torah and in the rest of the Old Testament. Um, so think about that as you read, and we'll pick up next time here on the Bible Brush Up Podcast.